So there are so many philosophies in life. If you want to think about political philosophies, anything from socialism to communism to libertarianism to democracy, there are party lines and crossing party lines, all those kind of political philosophies. There's diet and exercise philosophies. Everyone's got a different thought on intermittent fasting and all those fun things. Everyone's an expert. Everyone's way works till it doesn't. Um, spiritually, on the other hand, there are, there are so many different philosophies or theological perspectives about what is right and true and healthy and hopeful and filled with truth. Spiritually, there are so many philosophies and yet not all philosophies and theologies are created equal. We need discernment. We need wisdom. We need divine sovereign guidance. We need an authoritative source. And we have that authoritative source. We open the pages of Scripture and we see what God has revealed. In 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, God's word says, All scripture is given or breathed out by inspiration of God. It's given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness. We have authority, an authoritative source to know what's right, to to know what's true. The Scriptures again and again let us know that as we look at the Scriptures, we're seeing that the sum and substance, the heart of the Scriptures, is to understand who Jesus is. Jesus made that very clear in John chapter 5. Listen to these words from verses 39 and 40. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness or testify about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. There are so many competing ways of thinking, but only one of them brings life and fullness and ultimate victory. Jesus came to fulfill the law He came to lay His life down in in the fulfillment of our breaking of the law. He laid His life down as a ransom price for us. He came to rescue us. He came to offer us life. This is what Jesus has come to do. He accomplished it all. And yet people come and they look at Scripture or they come and they go to a church or they come and they figure out their own spiritual journey And anything that's not focused in on the person and work of Jesus Christ ends in death. It ends in separation from God. Anything that does not end where God has begun and sustained and ends results in death. As we look at our text this morning, what we want to understand, and it's no different than every other Sunday, Jesus is everything. He's everything. Here, in the Middle East, in the south of Africa, in Alaska, in Asia, wherever you are, Jesus is everything. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the building. It's not about the camp 
denomination, none of that. Jesus is everything. Him we preach, warning every man, testifying to every man, this is where life is. Join me please in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1. God's Word says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen Me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. As we navigate through our time this morning, this 15 verse section we'll see it under three headings first of all Jesus is the fullness of wisdom in verses 1 through 5 secondly Jesus is the fullness of God in verses 6 through 10 and then Jesus is the fullness of victory in verses 11 through 15 There was a philosophy floating around in the 1st and 2nd century and developed more over time. But it was beginning to develop in that time frame. It was known as Gnosticism. A few of the concepts that I think that are pertinent to our discussion this morning and again next week, a um, few tenets of their, tenets of their uh, philosophy was that matter is evil and spirit is good. In other words, 
Material, intrinsically, is evil. And spirit, intrinsically, is good. Secondly, there is a mysterious special knowledge that will enable people to reach a new spiritual plane. Insider information will help you become something that you are not. You want to get in on the inside? You need this special knowledge. And only a few know. Number three, there are angelic beings. They represent the divine. And worshiping them is in a way in which we are aided in worshiping God. So those are just some philosophies that are part of Gnosticism. The practical implications of that are really important because if material is evil, that means you are evil intrinsically. And if matter is evil and you're evil and you're not going to stop in this life being material, you're going to be evil continuously no matter what you do. That has practical implications on how you live forth. But more importantly, if you see matter as intrinsically evil and then you hear about a Savior named Jesus who was material, you have to say, well, He's evil or He wasn't really come in the flesh. Now in 1 John, the Bible tells us that if anyone says that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, He is an antichrist. So the tenets, the, the philosophy of Gnosticism immediately starts to speak against Jesus. The One who is our everything. The One who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through Me. Who the apostles declared that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if He is either evil or not who He says He is or not who the Bible purports Him to be, then we have a real problem. Salvation is found in no other. To distort Jesus is to distort salvation. Matter is evil. Spirit is good. Most of the Gnostics view Jesus as an angelic type being rather than having come in the flesh. This philosophy was also helping or, or eliciting from people a desire for, again, that insider information, that special knowledge. So you could be one of the, the very few who had this special knowledge and feeling better about yourself because you have attained this special knowledge. This passage here, this week and next, is really going to go and undermine all of those philosophies in a very profound way. As we start this morning, we're going to see that Jesus is the fullness of wisdom. Jesus is the fullness of wisdom. In other words, everything you need with regard to knowledge and wisdom, spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about practically. If you, you can come to know Jesus as Savior and not know your multiplication tables. And you need them. Now we have calculators, so perhaps you don't need them as much as you once did. There are things about your job that you need to learn. So we're not saying that 
There's nothing to learn in life except Jesus. We're talking about spiritual value. The only wisdom that you really need spiritually is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 1-5 through again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen Me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches, all the abundance of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, or who is, that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul's desire here was to encourage his readers. They had already had their hearts knit together in love, and yet you and I know what that means. Right? Loving people across the world. <laughs> see you, seeing each other on a screen and feeling it. And then face to face again. And you can feel it. There's a reason that you have that, that sense within you. is because God takes people that are different you know, in background, intellect-wise, emotion-wise, different culturally. Takes people from, from totally different aspects of life. And, but, but when He unites them together in Christ, there is something that is unique where God takes us and uh, molds our hearts together. To where when one person weeps, we weep along with them. And when one person is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. God ties us together. He's rejoicing in their being knit together. He wanted them to be encouraged by the fullness of the knowledge that is found in Christ. You want to know where the mysterious wisdom is? You want this special knowledge? I'll tell you who it is. The special knowledge is Christ. He is the fullness of wisdom. He is a treasure house of it. In verse 2, He refers to Him as riches. In verse 3, He refers to Jesus as a treasure trove of it. The Psalms, or excuse me, the Proverbs speak of wisdom as having a value above ruby and gold. We agree. But Jesus is the fountain of wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. And as a result, being the source and substance and foundation of wisdom, He's a foundation upon which we can stand. It's not standing on our own philosophy, our own accrued knowledge, our own gathered wisdom. No, we're going to stand on a wisdom that is unwavering. It's not flawed. We step off of our own foundation of wisdom where we think we, we know so much, we've come so far, still flawed. We still see in a mirror dimly. One day we'll see face to face. When we see Him face to face, we will know Him just as we are known by Him. The mystery is gone. The fog is gone. It's not looking through a mirror then it's face to face. We're not standing our own wisdom and our own philosophy, our own theology. We're standing on one that's already formed fully 
in the person of Jesus Christ. No wavering, no variation, no error, no flaw. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 just for a moment. We're talking about the fact that Jesus is the fullness of wisdom. He's the fullness of wisdom. If you really want spiritual wisdom, you need it from Him. You need Him. He is that wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 28 through 31. We're just going to take a small little snippet of this passage for our consideration. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 28. For God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in His presence. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us or for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. He is our wisdom. We don't need to look anywhere else. Back in Colossians 2, some may try to convince us otherwise. I say this in order that no one may delude you, verse 4, with plausible arguments. Some will try to draw our attention away. In fact, you know, the world's philosophy is to draw us away towards something else. And we have the continuous seeds of that within ourselves where we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Because it's so easy to, to see things that are going on around us and, and they, they allure us. They, they, they pull us. They, they call to us. We say, oh, here's where I'll find what I've been looking for. It's so easy to be deluded, to be deceived by what seems to be a really great alternative. And yet, you have everything you need in Jesus. You don't need anything more. There's nowhere else to look. There's nothing, there's nothing there for you. There's nothing there for me. He's our wisdom. Our minds are prone to wander. Our wisdom... As our wisdom, He is a firm foundation to stand upon. Look at verse 5 again. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You know, this is an important concept here. They re- Paul's rejoicing, so this, he's inspired by God's Spirit. So God is rejoicing in good order. A lack of chaos. A lack of anxiety. A lack of searching and creeping and clawing and trying to find for ourselves peace and rescue. I rejoice to see your good order. That that you see what things really are. The way things really are. And the firmness of your faith in Christ. The firmness, the the foundation upon which you stand on. I rejoice to see that you found that there is no other foundation to stand upon. There's no other foundation that is crafted except that which Christ has already laid for us. 
the philosophy of church is that we come together so we might rest upon that foundation. Paul spoke of it really uh, well in Ephesians chapter 4. This will be on the screens to my left and right. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. I know it's small. You can look it up later. I'll say it to you if you can't see it. Ephesians 4. It says, And He, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? Why did He give them? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to understand Him. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A lot of words. Essentially, it's talking about how Jesus descended and then He ascended. And when He ascended, He gave gifts to men. And those gifts are the apostles and prophets, firstly. They lay the foundation. We see what God has told us through the apostles and prophets. They gave us the New Testament Scriptures. We also were given the gifts of evangelists who bring that Gospel truth to the world. And people come to know Jesus. God takes people from death and gives them life. And those newborn babes come into the church and there are pastors and teachers to do what? Teach them. Tell them about Jesus. Why? So that they'll no longer be babies. Easily unrooted. Easily swayed. Easily turned upside down by philosophies. Instead, we hold forth Christ and say, here's your life. He's your life. Everything you need. He's already done it. Your life is found in the finished work of Jesus. Not only did He live for you, He died for you. Not only did He die for you, He rose for your justification. Not only did He rise for your justification, He ascended up on high. Not only giving gifts, but He also is seated on the right hand of God. And you know what He's doing there? He ever lives to make intercession for you. He's working for you and for me right now. He's already done everything that's necessary, and yet He still works through His own way to provide for us day in and day out, no matter what you're facing. Everything you need is found in Him. He's the fullness of wisdom. And so we take time. We slowly work through Colossians. Or we slowly work through the Gospel of John. Or we slowly work through the book of Romans. Whatever we're doing, we're slowly working our way. We're in no hurry. 
to finish. But we're, what we're in a hurry to do is to make sure when we open the Scriptures that you and I see Christ. Not a great new thing to do. Not, oh, a great new little uh, nifty application that you can apply Monday through Friday just for you. It's your own personal application. No. Look to Christ. See Christ. Let Him do what only He can do. First giving you life, and then transforming your life. He's still working to transform us. I'm privileged day in and day out to look at Scripture, to, to minister to people, to, to interact with people where, where, where God is working in their lives, and to see God transforming them. And while that's going on, guess what He's doing in me? He's transforming me. None of us have arrived. We all need transformation, and God is still doing it every day. But if we look to a philosophy outside of Christ, we're short-circuiting that transformation. Let God transform you as you look at Christ. And so we keep holding out Christ. What we hold out is something that's sturdy. It's firm. It says at the end of verse 5, the firmness of your faith in Christ. We want you to hold on to, or we want to hold out for you actually, a substantive faith in Jesus. Jesus is the substance of our faith and there is no other eternal foundation. He is the fullness of wisdom. Secondly, in our text, Jesus is the fullness of God. Sounds like a sermon all in and of itself. Jesus is the fullness of God. This is, you're on for, mint number one for those of you making fun of me on Facebook. Mint number one. Mint number two is coming, I suppose, and soon you'll have to break out your lunch. Jesus is the fullness of God. Look at verses 6-10. through 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. There's so much to be said here and I have to try to get to the point. In verse 6, he, he lets us know in the same way that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you were to walk in Him. So the question I have for you to, as you think through that is, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Simple. It's a simple answer. It's a, maybe two words. By faith. By faith. This is how... The Gospel of John says it in chapter 1 and verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. How, how did you receive Him? You received Him by believing Him. Jesus is proclaimed as Lord, as God, as Savior. And you believe Him. You say, that's the Savior I need. Without Him, there's no life. Without Him, there's no forgiveness. Without Him, there's no righteousness. I need Him. You believe Him. 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is something to hold on to. Holding on to Christ. You see that He is everything the Bible declares Him to be. He is, in fact, God in the flesh. He is, in fact, the only Savior. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast. In the same way you received Him, so walk in Him. What does He mean, so walk in Him? Walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We recognize that you know, I have all these plans and all these purposes and all these intentions and I, and I you know, follow my, my pathway that I've set out. Okay, I'm going to do you know, this first, this second, this third. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out my pathway. I'm going to follow it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes when it works, it's good. Many times it doesn't work. Sometimes when it works, it's not good. Laying out your pathway. You've got all these plans. There's a lot of complications along that pathway. Even when you lay out your pathway, it's working and it seems good. There are always complications. Peripheral challenges that are going on. Relation issues. Economic issues health issues, there's all kinds of problems that are always surrounding us. It's a regular part of life. You're no different than everybody else. You're not the only one suffering here. And I'm, I'm not the only one suffering here. We all experience it. Frustrations, disappointments, anxieties. But we walk by faith. In the same way we received Him, is the same way we walk with Him. We've come to rely on Christ for our salvation. And if we can rely on Him for our salvation, like our eternal soul, if I can rely on Him for my eternal salvation, can I rely on Him for everything that's lesser? Is there anything as significant as your eternal soul? No. There really isn't. If I can rely on Him for that, can I rely on Him for everything less? Yeah, He's worthy of that. He's proven Himself faithful. He can shepherd me through all of this. I was going to have us turn to uh, Acts 17. We don't have time to. Perhaps you can look up Acts 17, 24-28 later. You can enjoy it. It's wonderful. It lets us know that God doesn't need anything. But yet He gives. Instead of extracting, He provides. This is who He is. If He's not extracting from me and yet providing for me, can I rely on Him through all the days of my life? He talks about in that text how He's appointed us to periods and He's appointed boundaries around us. He's intimately aware of what's going on. Our Savior is utterly dependable. Our Savior is utterly dependable. The reason that we can walk day by day trusting Him is because of what He tells us in verse 7. Look at what he says in verse 7. You have been rooted. You are being built up in Him. And you are being established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. The reason that you and I can walk with Him, rely on Him by faith every single day is because of the work that He's already done. These are all passive verbs. 
The first one is a perfect passive. Everyone wants a good language lesson? Welcome back. Rob, here you are, giving a language lesson on day one. Ready? Perfect tense. Something that is completed in the past, but has continuing results. That's the first of the verbs in verse 7. It's a perfect passive. He says, you have been rooted. He rooted you back then, and that root is not being plucked out. It continues to be rooted to this day. That's the first of the verbs. Rooted. It's an agricultural or horticulture term. He is mixing metaphors here. And then the second verb in verse 7 is you are being built up. It's a present passive. Jesus or God is building you up in Him. It's an architectural term. And then he uses another metaphor. He uses a legal term. You are being established. So, he has already rooted us. It continues to this day. He's still doing this work of building us up. And He's still doing this work of establishing us. You are not establishing yourself. You are not building yourself up. And you have not rooted yourself. It is all Him. It is all Jesus. This is why we can say Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything because I'm not, I'm not even capable of rooting myself. Are there things that I do as part of the process? Sure, I read my Bible and I... I expose myself to the truth of God's Word in, in uh, Bible studies and worship services. All of those things are great and helpful. But the one who's doing the work, actually rooting, actually building, actually establishing us, that's a work of God. He's divine. It's all Him. He's planting you, building you, establishing you on His covenant promises. It's all in the faith, it says. All of this is in the faith. He's establishing us in the faith. It's not faith in anything. It's really important. It's not faith for faith's sake. Train your mind. Train your mind. Sometimes we need to have our minds retrained. Sometimes I believe that people in church world have more faith in faith than they have in God. Let it not be so, Lord, that I trust in my faith. I trust in how many prayers are offered about this situation. By how many people, for how long. That's faith and faith. You're trusting in your faith. Oh, if only a hundred people would pray about this every day for the, you know, the next year, it'll definitely, it'll definitely work. That's faith in faith. If, if I can get this out to enough people, if people all around the globe will be praying at every hour, so, so that everyone's taking shifts, we're going to have a prayer chain, and if we pray enough, this will definitely happen. That's faith and faith. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is not in church gathering. Our faith is not even in the words of Scripture. I know that, that sounds blasphemous. Listen, please. Not even in the words of Scripture. The reason we trust the words of Scripture is because we know where they came from. We trust the God of Scripture. And we trust the God to whom we pray. Which means sometimes we don't even have to tell anybody else. Sometimes you might be in the midst of a dilemma and you don't have to tell every single person in the world to pray for you. Because you trust the God to whom you pray. Established in the faith. 
Not faith in faith, not faith in prayer, not faith in church, not faith in a pastor, not faith in a shepherd, not faith in some counselor. Faith in God. That's, that's where we want to point each other to. These truths have been revealed. They cause our roots to sink deeply. They cause us to be built on the promises that are foundational. They all rest on the person and work of Jesus. And of course, verse 8 tells us there are opposing philosophies and theologies. But we don't want to know any. We don't need to know all those philosophies and theologies. We just want to know about Jesus. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 too. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what he said earlier in this passage, chapter 1 and verse 28. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all my all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Why are we so confident? Why are we so confident that that receiving Christ and walking in Christ, being rooted in Christ and built on Christ and established on what He has said, why are we so confident? Because verses 9 and 10 tell us who He is. He's the fullness of God. He is everything. Listen to what He says in verse 9. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. The reason we can be so confident is everything that is true about God the Father is true about God the Son. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Him. He is God made flesh. There is nothing about God that is not present in Jesus. He's everything. He is lacking nothing. And He provides Himself to us. He is the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. He, he gave up the free exercise of His divine attributes while He was walking on the earth. He didn't exercise them freely. He deferred to the will of the Father. His meat was to do the will of Him who sent Him and to finish His work. He deferred. But all of the divine truth all of the divine nature was present in Jesus who is Christ. Full, full divinity. And you, you have been filled to the full in Him. That means you have everything you need. What do you lack? What do you lack in Him? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Oh, but, but matter is evil. And I'm material. No. No, you have what you need. Jesus is what you need. But, but these people know more than I do. They, like, they, they've got this mysterious, like it's, they just seem to, to be so knowledgeable. And, and, and you know, it, it's like God is talking directly to them and I don't get that same thing. Nope. Nope. You have everything you need in Jesus. It's right here. This is the Word. The Word declares to you who Jesus is. You don't need to look anywhere else to find Jesus. 
You don't need to write, read something that's you know, God calling or Jesus calling. N- no. No, you've, you've got the words that tell you who Jesus is. Everything you need right here. Testifying of Him. You are searching the Scriptures for you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are they that testify about Me, Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. See how easy it is to get distorted? You could spend every day the rest of your life, you could spend 10 hours a day reading your Bible. If you're not looking for Jesus there, you're looking in the wrong place. You could memorize it. Memorize it. 66 books. If you're not looking for Jesus there, you're, you're missing. You're missing it. You're not going to find life just by looking at the words. You're going to find life when you see Jesus in the Scriptures. He made it as plain as day. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John, right? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing you might have life in His name. Keep looking, but you've got to be looking for Jesus. He's done it all. We sang about it. Fighting a battle, He's already won. We don't need anything else. He's everything. Jesus is the fullness of wisdom. He's the fullness of God. He fills all believers. We don't need to look anywhere else. All right. This gets us to the last one. Just a couple minutes more. Jesus is the fullness of victory. Jesus is the fullness of victory. Look at verses 11 through 15, and I'm just going to summarize it from there. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So first of all, in verse 11, I think you could summarize this by saying He conquered life. He conquered life. Doesn't sound like it. Hear me out. Jesus fulfilled every law, including being circumcised on the eighth day. He lived for you. You and I? Well, anyone can get circumcised on the eighth day. At least half of us. But what about all the other? Law after law after law. Oh, I, oh I, I've, all those I've kept from my youth. What else do I lack? Remember that one? Oh, one thing you lack. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll know. You love your neighbor as yourself. So take everything you have and just make sure that they have it, right? Because they're just as important as you are. Go do it. Jesus was expanding the law, letting him know like you, you just don't you you think you've fulfilled all these laws? You didn't. You can't. You won't. Verse 11, Jesus was circumcised for us. 
He fulfilled the law for us. He conquered life. Verse 12, He conquered death. He was dead, and God raised Him from the death. dead. He conquered death. Verses 13 and 14, Hallelujah, Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered sin. Think about this. The list that stood against us As a child, your list was longer than anything you could imagine. But you're not a child anymore. Let's just talk about your, the 20s. <laughs> when you were in the 20s, right? That list, longer than anything you could even tolerate. Oh, during your 30s. That list, longer than anything you could tolerate. If you, if you had a way to read the, the list of your sins from the time you were 20 to 30, you would be mortified. That's just one decade. And that list that stood against you with its legal demands. You know what the legal demand is? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So with that list, that ridiculously long list of sins that stood against you and the guilt that weighed down upon you and the condemnation that was due to you, God rolled that scroll up, but not just from the time you were a child, not just that first ten years, not just the second ten years, not just the third ten years or the fourth ten years. I'm going to stop there. However many of those tens you have, rolled that scroll up, right? And took a nail and nailed it on the cross of Christ. All that IOU. And He removed it out of the way. Victory. Victory over your long list of sin with its guilt and its condemnation. He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, never to be brought to your attention. Not someday you're going to be standing there at the judgment seat and with your screen behind you and everybody's looking. Oh, remember that time you said that about... Remember when you did this? Oh, let me remind you just how terrible you really are. No. That price has been paid. You've been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. So far as He removed our transgressions from us, including the record, including the guilt, including the condemnation, because Jesus became sin for us, even though we knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God through Him. Sinner no longer. The record declares you, believer, to be righteous fully, freely, forever. Because Jesus conquered sin. Thank you, Jesus. He's everything. He conquered angelic forces in verse 15. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, might, dominion, all of those things. Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 1. You can look all through the New Testament and see the, the conflict that's going on. Believer, you don't have to worry. Jesus already won. He's far above all names. He has the name above all names. 
at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is victorious, conquered angelic forces. He's the head of all rule and authority, it says in verse 10. Well, how do we respond to this portion of Scripture? Let me just try to say this as succinctly as I can. Number one, seek to know this Jesus because He is a treasury of wisdom. He is a treasury of wisdom. Seek to know Him. Secondly, walk in confident faith for He has already provided everything you need. You lack nothing in Him. And number three, stand confidently no matter what divergent philosophies are presented to you no one and nothing compares to him he is everything he is enough he is fullness he has won and his victory is yours through faith do you trust him do you trust him more today Lord, help me to trust You. Help me to see You more clearly. Help me, to, help me to see and hear and believe more. Increase my faith. It's a good thing to ask your God. God, increase my faith. Help me to see You for who You really are. To trust You and to rest in You for all You are. Jesus is everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that we can rest in the, the work of Jesus because we can rest in the person of who Jesus is. We ask, Father, that You would help us not to rely upon our own resources. Help us to continue to see what You're doing, what You've accomplished, who You are, who our Savior is. And we pray that through that constancy of looking to Him, You would continue to establish our hearts. Build up our hearts in faith. We need You. Father, we pray for anyone among us that's never come to this place of knowing Jesus this way as all-sufficient, as the fullness of wisdom, as the fullness of You as the fullness of God and as the fullness of victory, we pray that even today they would come to realize that everything they need spiritually is found in Jesus. That they would call upon His name, believe Him, and receive life forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.